the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is vacationing, but Dave King is engineering today's program. We're looking forward to a conversation later this hour with Lori Smith. She's the plaintiff and Jake Wagner, the ADF attorney in the Supreme Court decision 303 Creative LLC versus Elanis. The decision made by the Supreme Court just a week ago. We'll also talk with Katie J. McCoy. Dr. McCoy is the author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. She'll be joining us later this hour as well. And we'll take a look at the day's headlines. Do you want to give you a heads up? Registration is closing for the KPDQ Pastors Masters. You have until tomorrow, 5 p.m. And we would love if you are a pastor or ministry leader for you to join us. This is the... um, Event coming up on Monday, July the 17th at the beautiful Langdon Farms Golf Club in Aurora, just south of Wilsonville, presented by Adventist Health Portland. Registration closes this Thursday at 5 p.m. Pastors, ministry leaders, anyone who works hard at your church can sign up and join us. For just $25, as an 18-hole golf scramble teeing off at 7.45 a.m., a light breakfast from plenty food and deli European cuisine in Happy Valley, and followed by a delicious buffet lunch. Space is limited, so please register now. Time is now limited as well. 5 o'clock p.m. tomorrow. Go to kpdq.com for all the important details and to register to join us. Well, FBI Director Christopher Wray addressed questions over the handling of the Hunter Biden probe today. The FBI director insisted that the bureau is absolutely not protecting the Biden family with allegations. The Hunter Biden probe was influenced by politics, but he also refused to answer questions from House Judiciary Committee lawmakers on whether President Biden is under federal investigation for an alleged criminal bribery scheme. Uh, The director told the committee about the good work of the FBI. He denied any alleged politicization within the bureau and blasted claims that he's biased against conservatives as somewhat insane. He is himself a Republican. Despite uh, those denials, Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, he maintained his his uh, commitment to stopping the weaponization of the government against the American people and slammed the double standard that exists now in our justice system. Well, the sentiment of a double standard of justice was prominent throughout the hearing. The GOP members pointed to the FBI's handling of investigations related to the Bidens compared to the probe into former President Donald Trump. Representative Matt Gates pointed to allegations leveled against the Justice Department by IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, who said uh, steps were taken throughout the years long Hunter Biden probe to protect him and limit any questioning related to the president. Gates referred to a specific WhatsApp message to a Chinese energy executive in which Hunter Biden seems to indicate he's sitting here with his father, Joe Biden, threatening the executive that he and his father would forever hold a grudge if a deal was not complete and warning that the executive would regret not following his, referring to Hunter Biden's, direction. You seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Gates asked, almost surprising, uh, surprising. 
surreptitiously uncurious, are you protecting the Bidens? Again, Ray answered, absolutely not. The FBI has no interest. IRS whistleblowers have alleged federal prosecutors blocked lines of questioning related to the president, despite having evidence that could point to the president's knowledge or involvement in his son's business. Not much was solved today, but answers were given and points were made. A high-stakes inflation report due today uh, showed that price pressures within the economy cooled again in June but still remained abnormally high. Economists expect the Consumer Price Index, which measures a range of goods that include gasoline, health care, groceries, and rent, to show that monthly prices rose 0.3% in June, unchanged from the increase recorded the previous month. On an annual basis, inflation is projected to have climbed 3.1%, down from 4% in May, and a marked drop from the peak of 9.1% of June of last year. Well, that remains well above the pre-pandemic average and the Federal Reserve's 2% target rate. Americans have put the worst of inflation behind them, but the war hasn't yet been won. The National um, League's Nightmare is finally over. The National League won the 2023 All-Star Game for the first time in 11 years. Finally, victorious. And artificial intelligence babies? Well, new technology is helping fertility doctors choose the best embryos in in vitro fertilization. A lot could be said about that. I'll just leave it at that for now. It's very essential. Senators left a classified briefing on artificial intelligence Tuesday with a deeper understanding of how AI is already being used to bolster U.S. national security and the looming threat China poses at it as it deploys its own AI capabilities. Tuesday afternoon's briefing was the first ever classified meeting with senators and key Pentagon officials about artificial intelligence. Discussion included how the U.S. is using AI to maintain its national security edge and how adversaries like China are using this emerging tool as well. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York, told reporters what he learned was eye-opening. It comes after he told uh, senators in a letter over the weekend that Congress is moving full steam ahead on his AI regulatory framework, which Schumer said Tuesday could take months to develop. Well, this briefing shows just uh, depth, complexity, but necessity of getting something real done. It's going to be very hard. It's going to be one of the hardest tasks that Congress has ever faced, but it's probably one of the very most important. We can't run away from it, Schumer said. He also acknowledged the U.S. is in a race against time with China and other bad actors on AI development. The U.S. attorney handling the Hunter Biden probe once again contradicted claims from an IRS whistleblower in a letter to Senator Lindsey Graham on Monday. The South Carolina Republican challenged David Weiss' letter, noting he is determined to find answers in the increasingly complicated investigation. Senator Graham said, when it comes to the Department of Justice, I don't trust them. They got to come forward under oath and testify. So here's what the whistleblower has said. A group of whistleblowers that Hunter Biden got the benefit of the doubt, unlike anybody they've ever seen. And they've been there for decades that every time there was a question, it wound up being in Hunter Biden's favor. They claim that to Mr. Weiss, the U.S. attorney from Delaware, sought special counsel status and was denied that status and that he wanted to bring charges in D.C. and California, but was told no. They don't want to tell me what happened to the 1023 investigation. And I can tell you. Um, tell your audience, he said in the interview, you're all going to know what happened. I did not get that answer in this letter. I'm not going to stop until I found out uh, 
how the accusation was disposed of. So we'll see what actually happens. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue the news in just a few moments. And Lori Smith, the plaintiff, and Jake Warner, the attorney from the Alliance Defending Freedom in the Supreme Court decision 303 Creative versus Elenis. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, a conversation with Lori Smith. She was the plaintiff in 303 Creative LLC versus Elenis. We'll also talk with her attorney, Jake Warner, from Alliance Defending Freedom. And also this hour, Katie J. McCoy. Dr. McCoy is the author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. All of that coming up in today's program. Well, Republicans countered what they um, call the false narrative that their new voting bill is racist amid um, evidence of record turnout in Georgia. And a federal appeals court has once again halted construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline being built through Virginia and West Virginia, despite Congress recent passing of legislation ordering all necessary permits to be issued. Well, the stay issued by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond on Monday comes after the law passed by Congress last month, which was part of the bipartisan bill to raise the debt ceiling, also stripped the court of its jurisdiction over the matter. Well, the law passed by Congress and signed by the President of the United States is clear. The Fourth Circuit no longer has jurisdiction over MVP's construction permits. Senator Joe Manchin, a supporter of the project, tweeted on Monday about the ruling. This new order halting construction is unlawful, and regardless of your position on MVP, it should alarm every American when a court ignores the law. Well, the provision in the debt ceiling package that greenlighted the billion-dollar 303-mile Mountain Valley Pipeline, which is 94% complete but has been mired in a lengthy permitting process for years, has been cheered by West Virginia lawmakers who have uh, touted the uh, project's expected economic benefits. But now it's been put on hold again. Well, the nation's most wildfire-prone state is teaming up with an artificial intelligence platform that never sleeps and can detect potential fires before they spiral into chaos. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection is partnering with the University of California, San Diego's Alert California, a public safety program that studies natural disasters to test a $24 million AI program. California's 2018 campfire was the most deadly and destructive in state history killing 85 people and injuring 17 civilians and firefighters. Well, the new AI trial will include collaboration with fire units in San Bernardino, Sonoma, Lake Napa, Madeira, Mariposa, Merced, Nevada, Yuba, uh, Placer, Shasta, Trinity, and other areas, according to Cal Fire. The program will deploy more than a 1,000 high-definition pan-tilt zoom cameras throughout the state that will work nonstop monitoring for smoke or other signs of fire. That it's been sparked from the Oregon border to the Mexican border and everywhere in between cameras are being added. We'll see how well this uh, works in uh, mitigating the spread of wildfires. Singer songwriter Jewel praised the new film Sound of Freedom this week, urging her fans to see the movie that exposes the international human trafficking industry. In a video uploaded to her Twitter account, she called the film the little indie movie that could and celebrated it for getting the word out about the child sex trade, which she claims has more slaves in in it currently than the transatlantic slave trade. She added that Sound and Freedom is uh, kicking, well, backside. And the box office, and in a Twitter uh, caption, blasted the media for trying to politicize the movie. 
Chicago has introduced a plan to address crime by re-envisioning the role of police officers. Re-envisioning. Well, Chicago's crime problem is notoriously bad, and over the past few years, it's only become more serious. Well, crime has spiked 88% since 2021, uh, in, and there are no indications the trend will be reversing anytime soon. Even worse, Chicago's new mayor, Brandon Johnson, just released a 223-page report titled A Blueprint for Creating a More Just and Vibrant City for All. Well, it sounds good. It included a truly disastrous public safety plan, however. The plan, which was inspired by a struggle rooted in black liberation contains no recommendations to increase enforcement of um, crimes. Instead, it proposes getting rid of uh, gang databases because of racial disparities, issues and acknowledgement of harm toward black and Hispanic residents of the city, re-envisioning the role of a police officer and providing mental health services rather than actual safety in communities that are over-policed. Even that framing of the problem being over-policed communities rather than neighborhoods with too much crime indicates the plan's focus is not really on taking decisive action to reduce crime, and minority communities tend to suffer at greater proportions than other communities. NATO declined to offer Ukraine a clear path to membership, disappointing Kiev, which regards the alliance as crucial to deterring Russian aggression. More than 15 years after the North Atlantic Treaty Organization first offered Ukraine a promise of membership, members resisted pressure from the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his boosters in the alliance to say when and how the country would join. NATO instead offered a package of financial and political support that alliance officials said would boost Kyiv's membership bid. Ukrainians hail NATO membership as crucial to stopping future Russian attacks after the current hostilities end. The White House is refusing to promote a military based on merit rather than DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion. The president's administration is fighting back against a new provision in the annual defense spending bill that would require military promotions to be based solely on merit rather than considering race or gender. The White House responded to the uh, proposed NDAA in a statement outlining a number of provisions the administration opposed from the potential creation of a Space Force National Guard to the attempt to roll back some of the diversity, equity and inclusion policies that the administration had enacted at the beginning of his presidency. Representative Jim Banks called the White House's rebuff of the provisions, uh, he wrote, both the uh, merit clause and the clauses repealing the Biden DEI initiatives, a badge of honor, adding wokeness is a cancer that will destroy our military from the inside out if we don't stop it. The conflict continues. Also, questions continue to arise about the cocaine found near the Situation Room at the White House. President is in Lithuania for the seventh NATO summit back in the White House, so Washington, N.D.C. The Secret Service is still trying to find out who left a bag of cocaine just outside of the Situation Room nearly two weeks ago. The bag has been reportedly sent to the FBI lab for analysis. The White House appears to be engaged in an effort to um, blur the uh, the answer to that question after the cocaine was found at the uh, um, the White House after Hunter Biden's recent visit. There's no evidence of a link, but there is speculation. According to Republican Representative Pat Fallon, the White House is refusing to hand over information relating to fingerprints on the bag of cocaine, assuming there are fingerprints that provide any answers. 
Soccer star Megan Rapinoe supports trans athletes playing against women as she announces her own retirement and she's being criticized for it. Of course, as she's retiring from the sport, she doesn't mind. National Review reports that when Rapinoe, a former co-captain of America's national women's soccer team, was asked whether she would welcome a transgender woman on the U.S. women's soccer team, even if that woman took the place of someone assigned female at birth, Rapinoe was unflinchingly, absolutely. You're taking a real woman's place. That's the part of the argument that's still extremely transphobic. I see trans women as real women, she said. The outspoken athlete and progressive activist told Time in an interview published on Monday. The soccer player went on to blast comedians and prominent women, specifically tennis champion Martina Navratilova and ESPN, ESPN commentator Sage Steele, who have publicly questioned whether permitting biological men to compete against women is fair or safe. Again, Rapino has retired. A judge is allowing Microsoft to acquire an enormous video game company, Activision Blizzard. A federal judge will not block Microsoft from closing a $69 billion deal to acquire video game giant Activision Blizzard, a defeat for U.S. regulators who had, had asked for a temporary injunction while legal challenges to the merger unfolded. The decision not to grant the injunction by the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California clears the way for Microsoft to consummate a deal that will make it the third largest video game publisher in the world with control over popular franchises such as Call of Duty, World of Warcraft and Diablo. Microsoft could potentially finalize the deal with Activision in a matter of days ahead of the July 18th time frame. U.S. antitrust officials at the Federal Trade Commission had argued that an injunction temporarily blocking the deal was necessary because allowing the merger to close amid ongoing litigation would have caused immediate harm to video gamers and other consumers. The FTC uh, had challenged the acquisition first in its in-house administrative court and then in U.S. federal court, alleging that the combination would hurt video gamers by giving Microsoft control over a number of hugely popular franchises. Regular, uh, regulators rather fear that Microsoft may withhold those uh, titles from rivals such as Sony's PlayStation or from nascent cloud-based streaming services. Well, there's a lot going on um, today on the program. We're anticipating a conversation in just a few minutes with Lori Smith, who is the plaintiff, uh, and Jack Warner, the the ADF attorney in the Supreme Court's decision, 303 Creative LLC versus Elanis. Now, 303 is a reference to the location of the uh, the business that, uh, that Lori Smith was engaged in. And as you might recall, the Supreme Court ruled that the uh, uh, the, the state of Colorado cannot force um, Lori Smith, a graphic designer, to create art that violates her religious beliefs. Now, some had assumed that this was already settled, given that there have been previous cases in which the Supreme Court has ruled. We'll talk more about that. She was represented by Alliance Defending Freedom. She asked the Supreme Court to say that Colorado's discrimination law violated her rights, and the court did just that. Uh, In fact, um, the Alliance Defending Freedom makes the point that the U.S. Supreme Court rightly reaffirmed that the government cannot force Americans to say things they don't believe. Um, And the court reiterated that it's unconstitutional for the state to eliminate from the public square ideas that it dislikes. Uh, Disagreement is not discrimination. So we'll talk with her about that when she joins us. And then uh, later this hour, uh, Katie uh, McCoy, Dr. McCoy, is the author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. 
So we'll talk with her about that. I also want to remind you that um, you have until uh, tomorrow at five o'clock. That's the 13th. Uh, to register to participate in the KPDQ Pastors Masters Golf Event presented by Adventist Health Portland. The cost is $25 for 18 holes of golf, a light breakfast, and a delicious lunch. We would love to see you there if you are a pastor, uh, you are a laborer in the uh, in the church, a ministry leader, you are invited to join us. Things kick off at 745, and again, that's an 18-hole golf scramble Sponsored by KPDQ and presented by Adventist Health Portland. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Colorado cannot force graphic designer Lori Smith to create art that violates her religious beliefs. Uh, she believes that marriage should be between one man and one woman and wanted to create wedding websites. But under Colorado's discrimination laws, if she were to create such wed- uh, wedding websites, she would be compelled to do so for same-sex weddings. Represented by the Alliance Defending Freedom, they asked the Supreme Court to say that Colorado's discrimination law violated her rights. And the court decided to do just that. The government cannot compel her uh, to speak. Well, joining us to talk about this decision, what led up to it is Lori Smith, the plaintiff, and Jake Warner, who is the ADF attorney that represented her in this case. Thank you both uh, for joining us today. Thank you for having us. I've been hearing um, allegations that uh, this case was manufactured in order to uh, force the Supreme Court to make a decision in favor of the freedom of expression by artists. Can we just uh, dispel that from the very beginning? Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Well, it is ridiculous, but it's gained some traction. (laughs) So I wanted to get it out of the way uh, first off. Let me begin with you, um, Lori. Tell us how this case became a case that ultimately was heard and decided by the Supreme Court. Sure. This case started seven years ago. You know, I wanted to create wedding websites consistent with my view on marriage, but the state of Colorado told me I wasn't welcome to do that and that if I wanted to create wedding websites that I had to set aside my beliefs and create and celebrate through my artwork messages on marriage that go against the core of who I am and what I believe. Rather than waiting to be punished, I decided to take a stand to really challenge Colorado's injustice. Seven years later, the the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court, finally affirmed that the government can't force anyone to say something they don't believe because free speech is for everyone. No one should be punished for creating speech that's consistent with what they believe. Now, Jake, many of us thought this is a question. This was an issue that had already been resolved by the Supreme Court. Why was this um, this decision necessary to clarify what many of us believed already to be true and that the court had had affirmed? Well, you remember Jack Phillips' case yes. uh, involving Masterpiece Cake Shop back in 2018. The U.S. Supreme Court held that Colorado had misused its law to violate Jack's uh, free exercise of religion, his religious liberty. Uh, but it did so based on, on two, two things. One, uh, state officials had compared Jack and his faith to uh, that of Nazis and slaveholders. And secondly, uh, they they treated Jack worse than other cake artists in the state. If you remember, during Jack's first case, um, a religious man went to three secular cake artists requesting custom cakes criticizing uh, same-sex marriage. 
those cake artists declined, citing their objection to the message. Um, but instead of prosecuting uh, those cake artists like they did Jack, they said that they had the freedom to decline to express those message. Yet they punished uh, and prosecuted Jack all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So because the free exercise violation was so clear in that case, it didn't reach the big question that it answered in 303 Creative, and that is, can the government force people to say things that they don't believe? And thankfully, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, resoundingly answered that question uh, the right way here in 303 Creative. Absolutely. And you make an important point. We're talking about a message, not the people that you're serving, but the message that you are being asked to communicate. Can you help to clarify that distinction? Because I think a lot of the accusations that have been uh, have been made uh, are mistaken in that you are opposed to serving certain segments of the population. Absolutely uh, not. Uh, people, go ahead, Lori. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I think it's important for people to hear from me directly that I have served people from all walks of life. I have current clients who identify as LGBT. I have always ser- served everyone, and I will continue to do so. And for me, it's I'm looking at the message, never the person requesting it. There are some messages I cannot create no matter who requests them of me. And I think it's really important for people to read the opinion, Mm -hmm. which clarifies that this is about the speech, not the person requesting the speech or the creation of the speech or expression. Jake, do you want to weigh in on that as well? Yeah, people like Lori... And Jack Phillips, they serve everyone. They just cannot express every message through their custom artwork. Um, This is a distinction that uh, has long been recognized in American law. And it's important to highlight that this ruling that we just received from the Supreme Court, it protects all people. Um, You know, it protects people uh, who disagree with Lori on some of life's biggest issues. We don't think... Uh, for example, that uh, the government should force a, a website designer who identifies as LGBT to create custom websites promoting views of marriage that go against their beliefs. It's always about the message. It's, it's never about the person. Uh, the government shouldn't force anyone to say things that they don't believe. Absolutely. I appreciated that Alliance Defending Freedom CEO Kristen Wagoner in her statement said the court reiterated that it's unconstitutional for the state to eliminate from the public square ideas it dislikes, including the belief that marriage is the union of husband and wife. Disagreement isn't discrimination. And uh, we're hoping that the Supreme Court has settled this question for <laughs> Uh, finally, and that it doesn't have to be brought before them again. Is this uh, broadly enough decided that we're not likely to see this uh, question brought before the court in future? It should be. The Supreme Court was very clear that um, free speech is for everyone and that the government shouldn't force anyone to uh, say things that they don't believe. So we think that uh, 303 Creative uh, helps resolve all the other pending cases that are out there because they didn't limit it. Uh, to just uh, words and text that include symbolic speech and other kinds of communication as well. So whenever you have someone who serves everyone and engages in expression for a living, uh, but they decline to uh, promote a message through uh, a project they're asked to create, this decision should protect them. What does the future look like for 303 Creative, Lori? Well, I'm happy to say that You know, over the last seven years, I haven't been able to participate in the wedding industry, but I can now. So I'm looking forward to creating and designing beautiful websites 
that portray a message of marriage that is consistent with God's design. And that's all I've wanted for day one. I'm grateful for the court's decision. And I hope people understand and can see that um, this is truly a victory, not just for me, but for each and every one of us. Absolutely. Now, Jake, the state of Colorado has been rebuked before by the Supreme Court. What are we likely to see uh, from them? They've tried to get around what the court has plainly said in the past. Does this put to rest this question for the state of Colorado, or do you anticipate there'll be efforts to uh, to work around what the Supreme Court has clearly said? Well, 303 Creative certainly, certainly should settle the question whether government may force people to say things that they don't believe. Um, the government can't do that. And, and certainly we expect Colorado to honor that Supreme Court decision. We have no reason to think that, uh, that they're going to try to, to circumvent it. The, the language of the decision is clear. Free speech is for everyone. And Colorado should honor that. Well, we want to congratulate you and thank you for being willing to wade through these troubled waters for seven years uh, to get an answer that, as you pointed out, Lori, not only impacts you and your business, but will have an impact on every other creative that would like to uh, work in the marketplace and only uh, communicate messages with which they agree and allow others to have that uh, that freedom as well. Well, thank you very much. I, I, it was well worth it. And I believe strongly that everyone should be free to speak and create consistent with their convictions, whether your views on marriage are similar to mine or different. This uh, this decision by the court allows all of us to do just that. Yes, yes. Well, Lori Smith, Jake Warner, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks thank for you having for having us. us. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, a conversation with Katie McCoy. Dr. McCoy is the author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. It's a book that goes into great, um, great detail to help us understand the issue, particularly women uh, who reject their, um, their biology um, and how we as uh, followers of Christ should understand and respond to this issue. So that's coming up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, it will come as no surprise to uh, consider that we live in a cultural moment where the definition of woman eludes the keenest of thinkers and brightest of scientists, where one's biological sex and one's gender are divorced, where the meaning of gender itself is a constantly moving target and where girls and women especially struggle to know who they are. Where societal confusion has ensued and Christians wonder how to think and respond to it, my next guest, Dr. Katie McCoy, offers a clear and helpful guide in her debut book, To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. In the book, she helps the readers understand why, as a culture, we've arrived at this place of gender confusion, what the relationship is between biological sex and gender, the truth about gender transitioning, including irreversible damage of hormone therapy on the female human body, common myths and misunderstandings in the gender debate, and what the scripture and science have to say on the matter, and ways to respond in a Christ-like way 
to loved ones struggling with gender identity. Well, Katie McCoy serves as director of women's ministry at Texas Baptists. She holds a Ph.D. in systematic theology from Southwestern Seminary, where she served as faculty for five years. Katie teaches and writes on the intersection of theology, culture and women's issues and has co-authored a work on the doctrine of humanity as part of the theology of the people of God series. Included among her research is discovering the pattern of justice for women in the Old Testament laws. You can find Katie online at BlondeOrthodoxy.com. She joins us today to talk about her first book, but I'm hoping not her last, To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Georgine, thank you so much for having me. This is such a timely subject, and it might seem like an obvious question, but what what motivated you to take this subject up uh, to write to an audience that is confused but wants desperately to be relevant and to be able to minister to those who struggle? You know, we've been in this cultural moment that's been brewing for several years now, and I got to teach on this when it was still very much a fringe issue. You know, a few stories uh, that we would hear in the news. Well, all of a sudden, it seems like it has just exploded seemingly overnight. And there are mothers and ministers all over our country that have been not only scratching their heads, but going, what in the world do we do now? How do we talk about these most basic things that are now subject to such scrutiny? And if you disagree with the prevailing views of culture, you're considered a bigot or oppressive or hateful. And so my hope is that with that book, To Be a Woman, People will find not only the evidence that they need, the the hard empirical data, but also uh, give them what they need to approach it, not only with truth, but with grace and compassion. Well, I, I want to commend you because I think you really succeeded in that, providing much needed information, clarity and direction, but also emphasizing how Christ would approach someone who is in a situation where there is this kind of uh, confusion that we see in our culture. So. Uh, kudos for managing to do both at a cultural moment when it's very difficult to even discuss the issues uh, civilly with some, uh, not, let alone try to address it in a constructive way. Thank you. You begin the book with a story about a girl named Heather. I've met many Heathers uh, myself, but can you introduce her to our listeners and talk a little bit about the importance of her story? Heather is a remarkable young woman, so she came to Christ when she was a college student, and in the process of her new discipleship, started to process a lot of her pain from her past, and that included sharing with a group of Christians that she had same-sex attraction, and one of the things she struggled with was what the Bible says about sexuality. And this group of Christians didn't really know how to respond. She she probably needed someone to care about her, to uh, help her realize, hey, you are not the first believer who has struggled with this. We want to connect you with someone who can help you uh, walk faithfully as God designed you to, and, and you still belong here. But instead, from the sound of it, she just kind of got some puzzled looks and awkward stares, and people didn't really know what to do. Well, Heather, like so many, found acceptance in the LGBTQ community. And, you know, one of the the shames of it is they are so good at being a community. Now, they are a community based on on, uh, acceptance of false views of the self. But so often people find that sense of acceptance in the LGBTQ community as opposed to finding that right acceptance that is both 
uh, truthful and loving in the community of Christ. And so Heather uh, explored different aspects of her identity confusion. She came out as a lesbian. She felt even worse after that. And then she uh, decided she was transgender. And then she felt even worse. And then finally, she got a double mastectomy. This is all before she uh, was about 25. And in that place of pain, the Holy Spirit had not given up on her. What is so remarkable is she said she felt the Holy Spirit say, why have you settled for your brokenness when I offer wholeness? And today, Heather spends her life uh, warning people about the dangers of this trans ideology, helping other people in the church recognize our responsibility to talk about it, and helping other people see that they too can find wholeness in Christ. And Heather's story is like what I think we're going to see so many of, Georgie. We're going to see a generation of detransitioners looking for hope and looking for a place to belong. Yeah, we were already beginning to see that. In the book, you write that some 80% of the LGBTQ community come from a Christian or religious background. They come from your youth groups, your college Bible studies, your children's summer camps. They're in our congregations, our Christian schools, our co-ops, and our families. But they are pulled between a belief system anchoring sex and gender identity in a creator and a cultural riptide sweeping them into confusion and, in many cases, irreparable harm. I think many of our listeners would be surprised to learn um, the connection between those who suffer and struggle uh, and their once uh, connection with the church or a religious community. Yeah, it's a staggering statistic. And with social media now, uh, parents and youth groups and churches are now competing with the algorithms of social media. And there are teenagers, I, I heard one story of a teenager in Tennessee who came from a very solid Christian home, solid Christian church, and um, her parents didn't realize that by giving her a phone with unchecked phone access to social media sites, what she was being introduced to by going on things like TikTok and Instagram and Reddit. And within a few months, this young lady said that she was transgender and an atheist. There are so many things that are uh, facing young people already, but this trans ideology is so very much an agenda, and uh, we're blind if we don't see it. it. It really is an agenda targeting young people, exploiting their vulnerabilities, exploiting even the normal feelings of teen angst. Who enjoyed middle school? Who felt comfortable with themselves at 13 and 14 years old? Well, now we have a culture that tells young women especially, that if they don't just feel overjoyed at being a girl, well, then that might mean something about their real identity, and they need to explore that perhaps they were just born in the wrong body. It's leading an entire generation to untold harm. You point out that the last decade has also witnessed a surge in gender variance. In 2014, Facebook announced 58 gender options uh, by which users could identify themselves. Other sources claim the number of genders is more than 70, an ever-expanding social category. You use the phrase contagious confusion, and I think that's what we're witnessing um, as staggering numbers uh, raise questions and the, the, um, the guardrails are, are being removed about who and what they are. That's exactly right. You said it so perfectly, these guardrails. And, you know, Scripture tells us that creation and conscience are two ways that God is revealing Himself to humanity. We call that 
general revelation. And as we see creation and conscience either being stifled or distorted, it's no wonder that we have a generation that is so confused. I am convinced that there is a connection between this widespread gender confusion and the fact that Gen Z is the first generation to grow up in a post-Christian culture, meaning Christianity is no longer the dominant cultural influence. People like a lot of Christianity's values, but certainly not any of its truth claims, like Jesus is Lord and we need to be saved through faith in Him. So that, combine that, we see this overflow of epidemic mental health maladies among teen and young people. Those things are all connected. We have a generation being told that these huge questions of their identity are answered with little more than their changing feelings. No wonder this generation is depressed, anxious, and confused. Mm. Uh, You sift through the confusion over female identity um, by considering five different spheres that shape and form um, our view. Who, what, where, how. Um, Talk a little bit about those fears, theological, biological, and so on. Yes. So I, uh, I tried to approach it a little bit like a, a journalist. Mm-hmm. I, I remember my favorite classes in high school was a journalist class, a journalism class, and we answered those basic questions. And so studying this topic, I tried to approach it with that in mind. So we look at the sociological, that is in many ways, how this is being proliferated. We talk about the philosophical issues that are uh, creating the cultural moment that we're in, and then relational. You know, we don't think about it in these terms often, but gender is relationally confirmed. We need other people to help shape our understanding of who we are. And then finally, biological uh, is is the last uh, sort of empirical aspects of of who we are, and we can't get around the fact that our gender is biologically determined and biologically grounded. It's it's a distinct aspect of who we are, but these two things are not divisible. And then overarching all of this is the theological. That answers the ultimate who of who we truly are. And our identity is theologically given. It is theologically bestowed. It's not something that we create in ourselves. It's not determined by our self-perception. Culture tells us that our gender is all about expressing ourselves, but Scripture tells us that our gender is ultimately about expressing our Creator. Mm. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Dr. Katie McCoy, author of To Be a Woman. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break for news and traffic. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing a conversation I began in the previous hour with Dr. Katie McCoy, author of To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. It is an excellent resource for those who not only want to understand the issue, but to understand how we as Christians are to respond to those who struggle. And um, I think it also helps us to recognize that it isn't an issue that's remote somewhere out there. It's much closer to home than we may have imagined. Now, one of the important terms that you use is gender dysphoria. Can you define that for us and why it's important to to know and to understand with regard to this issue? Is a 
condition. And this psychological condition is where someone's biological body or biological sex is out of alignment, or rather, let me flip that, it is when one's mind is out of alignment with one's body. The body is created by God, and one's psychological self or their emotional self feels out of alignment with their biological self. Previously, up until just a few years ago, this was understood to be a psychological condition. It was a mental illness, and it was one in which counselors and therapists and psychologists, psychiatrists, all kinds of professionals would help that person's mind come back into alignment with one's body. Now, however, it's all flipped. Someone who says that they believe they were born in the wrong body uh, meets a host of different options of how to change the body to try to fit the mind. It's interesting because we're hearing these days about dysphoria in other ways as well. For example, there are those who believe that a limb uh, isn't really their own. They, they don't associate with their limb. And some people are getting amputations because dysphoria is now considered uh, something to be taken seriously, not in, just in this area that we're discussing, but other areas as well. Yes, and when you hear these uh, tragic stories over and over again, what you what you find are people longing to be whole, and this is the irony of it that by by trying to uh, undergo these procedures or in some cases amputations, they're trying to find wholeness and peace and a sense of integrity between their body and their mind. And you know, we need to always keep in mind that this is, despite everything that we're seeing culturally, politically, so sociologically, it is a spiritual issue. We are seeing the overflow of the battle between good and evil, light and dark. And Satan hates God, so Satan hates God's image bearers. And he will stop at nothing to convince them that defying our Creator and harming themselves is the pathway to peace. I so appreciate that you help to explain uh, this phenomenon so that people have a better understanding of, of that psychological and spiritual problem you've just described. Uh, and I would recommend that people read the book because it does help in that way. But what role uh, is there for the church to play for youth leaders when dealing with um, these gender identity issues? What would you like them to know? The first thing is going back to and building our theology based on scripture of what it means to be a human being, what it means to be created in the image of God. And with that, we also see and hopefully can re-emphasize just how much the body, or excuse me, how much the Bible emphasizes the body. So we have a God who created the physical world, created the physical body, called it good, that being created in an embodied existence is very good. And not only that, but our God came in human form. He physically lived, physically died, physically was raised, physically ascended. He is still in his physically resurrected body in the unmitigated presence of the Father, and He has done that as our forerunner. He's going to physically come back, physically raise us with Him, and create a new heaven and physical earth. And so the future and fullness of humanity is embodied. It matters deeply to God. It's not something that we can just adapt, amend, and even amputate in order to fit our self-perception that all of us was created for God's glory, including our physical selves. This is a message that people in the church need to hear because there are a thousand different competing messages happening in the world. And you know, Georgine, 
20 years from now, we might be talking about another issue, another philosophy that has crept up and is uh, taken culture by storm. And yet we'll need to go back to these very basic truths of who we are as God's image bearers. In the conclusion of your introduction, you write, In Jesus' time, being sick or disabled came with stigma and shame. You may have been forbidden from going into the temple, which conveyed the ceremonial purity God required his people to approach him. And then a little farther down, Jesus dropped everything when he met people with these kinds of needs. He broke religious traditions and drew the ire of the social elite in order to help them. To be physically healed meant more than recovery from a condition. It meant being restored to a community. Those whom Jesus restored didn't remain marginalized. They were brought from isolation to connection, from alienation to acceptance. And you go on from there, beautifully written. Um, the the goal in, in ministering to and uh, walking alongside those who are in the midst of confusion is more than just um, a, a confession or a profession that, OK, I'm, I'm this and not that. But there God has something fuller and, and more beautiful in mind. I understand what it means to be a woman or a man. Uh, if God created you a man uh, until we are reconciled. To God in Christ. We will never be reconciled in ourselves until we are reconciled to God. And so this is about the peace and wholeness that God created us to live in, what He intended us to live in, and also to recognize that the significance of our gender is about something far outside of us and far greater than who we are. God is telling a story. He is a master artist, and He does that through us, through His creation. He is telling the world about the kind of God that he is. And so it makes sense why uh, the enemy would attack the image of God in Mm -hmm. these ways. They are signposts. We are living signposts to the reality of a good and beautiful creator. And this is all the more reason why you and I and everyone who is a witness of Jesus today cannot afford to sit this one out. We have to bring the message of the physically uh, alive, having died, been buried, and raised physically, Lord, uh, because that is exactly what people are needing. Well, again, I thank you for being with us here today, but I thank you for the book and really want to encourage people. They want to understand the issue better from a Christian perspective. Uh, As you pointed out, you can't sit this one out. The book, To Be a Woman, The Confusion Over Female Identity and How Christians Can Respond. It would apply to to, uh, men who are confused as well, but uh, there's a great deal in here that I think we need to uh, embrace. And I thank you, Dr. McCoy, for making it available. Thank you so much, Georgine. Bye-bye. Again, uh, the book, To Be a Woman. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue our march through some of the day's headlines. But again, I would highly recommend this particular book. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, NATO is rightly supporting Ukraine's self-defense against an unprovoked and savage Russian invasion. But NATO also has demonstrated both the capability to expand the alliance expeditiously when requirements for membership are met, as was the case with Finland and Sweden, and the willingness and resolve to defend NATO territory. Well, what's the what's the deal with Ukraine? Why weren't they admitted? I'm hearing people I respect suggest that they should have said, yes, um, Ukraine can be admitted to NATO now. Others suggesting that to do so would be tantamount 
to declaring war against Russia and uh, the start of a third world war. Well, I appreciated that James Carafano from the Heritage Foundation tried to put this in perspective. And he writes that at, at issue is the U.S. should work to ensure that NATO is prepared to face the challenges of the century effectively. It is in America's interest to maintain an open door for the nations that are un- or that are qualified rather and can contribute to the political and military strength of the alliance. NATO is rightly supporting the self-defense of Ukraine against an unprovoked and savage Russian invasion. However, Ukraine does not currently meet NATO standards for membership. So when the subject came up uh, at the uh, meeting in the last day or so, maybe just yesterday, it was never going to be the case that NATO, that Ukraine would be admitted into NATO immediately. They haven't yet met the uh, current NATO standards for membership and calls to fast track uh, the ascension to NATO to the alliance are misguided and unwise. Now, he points out that circumventing NATO's longstanding accession process would threaten NATO's mission. It would exacerbate regional conflict and undermine the response to Russian aggression. Now, again, I'm hearing some suggest that by postponing, if you will, Ukraine's admission into NATO, again, which was never going to happen overnight, that it simply emboldens and lengthens the war. But the way NATO works and uh, invites nations to join it, that would not be the case. Well, he writes that shortly after Russia announced a referendum on its formal annexation of occupied Ukrainian territory, Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, requested expedited NATO membership. While a large majority of Americans strongly support Ukraine's courageous fight for freedom and are impressed by recent battleground battlefield gains against Russia, accession to NATO is a formal process and must not be linked to other means of assistance to Ukraine. Many of the factors that have impeded NATO membership for Ukraine remain in place, making this request at best impractical in the short term. In a minute, uh, what's required for Ukraine to join NATO? I'm reminded that George W. Bush uh, at one point was uh, trying to encourage uh, NATO members to allow Ukraine to join the alliance. And the vast majority of nations said no. Uh, he stood largely alone in that effort. Today, it was the United States president who said no, while the majority, and uh, along with Germany, while the majority of countries I thought that uh, they should expedite that process. Well, what's required in order for Ukraine or for that matter, any nation to join NATO? Well, any nation that requests to join has to meet certain requirements and complete a multi-step process. The ascension process is overseen by the North Atlantic Council, NATO's governing body, and any decision to invite a country to join the alliance is taken by the North Atlantic Council on the basis of consensus among all allies. Again, Germany and the United States uh, put the brakes on, although the president announced that he believes that it's inevitable that Ukraine will ultimately be uh, a member of NATO, but not today. Well, a request for membership by a country like Ukraine is different from the recent requests of Finland and Sweden to join NATO. Typically, as a precursor to joining the alliance, they establish a membership action plan or a map a NATO program of advice, assistance, and support tailored to the individual needs of countries wishing to join the alliance. Participation in the MAP is not necessarily a guarantee of future membership. The programs are designed primarily for nations developing civil military institutions and NATO-compatible forces, countries like Ukraine, rather than 
established alliance partners like Sweden and Finland. A map isn't a formal requirement for membership, but has often served as a key benchmark in that process. Again, Carafano explaining it all writes that while it may be politically appealing to fast track Ukraine's ascension, um, abrogating the formal steps to membership, could have the unintended consequence of weakening NATO by introducing a member that does not meet the standards of the whole. Ukraine does not have a map. This process should be um, initiated before NATO membership can be responsibly considered. In addition, given that Ukraine does not currently meet NATO standard, objections from other members could undermine the unified NATO response to Russia's aggression. Political um, decisions aside, there are a number of practical and administrative obstacles to rushing through Ukraine's membership. There is no accelerated membership laid out in the North Atlantic Treaty that would have uh, to be resolved before the country could become an effective and integrated member of the alliance. Can a nation at war join NATO? Now, again, this was an issue brought up that until... The um, the war is resolved. NATO is not eligible. Well, he points out that the national the North Atlantic Treaty is not specific on this topic, but NATO was intended to be a collective defensive security alliance. The articles of the alliance, war fighting missions, capabilities and plans were intended primarily to deter conflict and promote peace. Um, as part of the deterrence effort, NATO plans and operations are intended to demonstrate a capability and capacity to defend NATO territory. No nation has ever been asked to join to NATO that was a party to any ongoing conflict. So it would have been uh, the first if Ukraine had been invited immediately. There is a case to be made that nations could join NATO with portions of their territory under dispute as long as they commit not to resolve these disputes through force or if disputes are resolved before joining NATO. However, even that condition is not likely in the present case, and this should be a serious sticking point in obtaining unanimous support for immediate NATO membership. Now, would joining NATO put NATO, uh, joining, uh, NATO put the organization at war with Russia, and some suggest it would be tantamount to a declaration of war. Well, Carafano points out that Article 5, uh, the principal element of the North Atlantic Treaty, which lays out the principle of collective defense of NATO territory, does explicitly require member nations to provide assistance individually or collectively, including through the use of armed forces. Article 5, however, does not explicitly entail an obligation to declare war on the aggressor and necessarily apply force against it. That said, de facto Ukraine is fighting a war against Russia on its territory and could be expected to ask for assistance, which it is under the current configuration getting. Therefore, by allowing Ukraine to join NATO at this time, member states would be explicitly risking being drawn into a wider conflict. It is extremely unlikely that there is a consensus in the alliance to accept this risk, nor should there be. And would joining NATO change the course of the war? Well, the answer, probably not. NATO was already providing significant support to Ukraine. There would be no consensus for NATO forces to become directly involved in the conflict, escalating, if you will. Thus, a session at this point would be largely symbolic. There would probably be no NATO consensus for complicating the current support relationship for this reason alone. Responding to Ukraine's application, NATO Secretary General uh, reiterated the importance of the alliance's open-door policy, but also stated that the focus would remain on providing immediate support to Ukraine to help Ukraine defend itself against the Russian brutal invasion, end quote. Will, in, uh, will NATO invite Ukraine 
to join? Well, almost certainly not. Ukraine currently cannot contribute to the alliance's collective security for the simple reason that it's embroiled in a war. Therefore, there would be no consensus to take this action. Now, I would question that answer to the question, because as President Biden uh, said earlier today, when would you expect NATO would be invited or rather Ukraine would be invited to join NATO? And he said about 30 minutes after the end of the war. So it does appear at this point that there would be an invitation extended uh, given uh, the status as it would be at that time should Ukraine's uh, conflict with Russia end. Uh, could Ukraine be invited to join NATO in the future? Well, that's possible. Um, NATO has an open door policy for qualified aspirant states. In addition, there could be accommodation for states like Georgia and Ukraine to join, even if part of their territory is occupied, if they commit to resolving disputes by peaceful means. Now, those conditions uh, are not present in Ukraine now. When the current fighting subsides, it could well make sense to help improve Ukraine's self-defense capability and complete a map. Again, that outline of what that membership would look like. This would both establish the right conditions for Ukraine to join the alliance and enhance NATO's collective security. NATO is rightly supporting Ukraine's self-defense against an unprovoked Russian invasion. It also demonstrated both the capability to expand the alliance expeditiously when requirements uh, for membership are met, as was the case with Finland and Sweden. Addressing Ukraine's request for membership through the established uh, process is a responsible and prudent course of action that defends NATO's primary interest, collective self-defense of its members. That policy is not likely to change. So this helped me to better understand what happened over the last couple of days, why Ukraine was not immediately invited to join the alliance, and what's likely to happen in the days ahead. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, it's official. Outgoing President Obama targeted Trump, we just learned. The plot to torpedo the Donald Trump presidency may have risen from Hillary Clinton's campaign, but it was the Obama administration that took the ball and ran with it. A National Security Agency record of correspondence during the final month of the Obama administration obtained by the Daily Signal via a Freedom of Information Act request confirms. Of significance is the record of unmasking requests by Obama officials and those specifically targeting Michael Flynn, whom Trump had chosen as his national security advisor. It appears that Flynn was targeted to prevent him from uncovering the plot behind the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. In short, if it wasn't for the Obama administration's involvement, the Trump-Russia hoax might have been dead on arrival. A rather interesting report. The U.S. subfleet is operating at just over 60 percent. The maintenance backlog of U.S. naval submarines currently has nearly 40 percent of the fleet out of commission. The backlog is an increase over last year, which saw 33 percent of subs of of commission out of commission rather when the best practice uh, target should be about 20 percent. The raw numbers seem a bit less alarming. Currently, 18 of the U.S. Navy's 49 attack subs are out of commission, which is two more than last year at this time. In any case, what's causing the backlog? Well, the primary culprit, explained Government Accountability Office spokesman Chuck Young, is aging shipyards, old facilities and inefficient layoffs or layouts. He noted that the Navy is currently five years into a 20 year plan to redesign four shipyards with China rapidly expanding its Navy. This news is 
to say the least, disconcerting. The last U.S. chemical weapons arsenal has been destroyed. In 1997, the Senate ratified the Chemical Weapons Convention. It's an international agreement that prohibited the development, production, stockpile, and transfer of chemical weapons. Following ratification, the U.S. started the tedious task of destroying the stockpiles. Uh, And last Friday, the task was finally completed, as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Kingston Reef explained. The United States destroyed over 30,000 metric tons of declared chemical agents contained in nearly 3.5 million chemical munitions, over 22,500 one-ton containers containing chemical agents, and over 50,500 bottles and containers containing chemical, chemical agents. One trillion dollars a year in interest. The debt the U.S. government has accumulated and added to, especially since the COVID pandemic, has grown astronomically. Now, you might just shrug your shoulders, but your grandchildren will bear the brunt. As a result, this year, for the first time in U.S. history, the federal government will spend one trillion dollars in taxpayer money on interest on the national debt. That is the equivalent of the entire value of Apple effectively up in smoke. To make matters worse, every year Congress keeps adding more to the ballooning debt. Well, will Americans ever be free from the debt this government has and continues to accumulate? This isn't a single administration's responsibility. It spans several. This is what happens when the government spends money like a drunken sailor. Yet another uh, House COVID report. House Republicans have released another report on COVID. This one focusing on Dr. Anthony Fauci's efforts to suppress the lab leak theory by pushing researchers to produce a paper to discredit it. Well, that paper, known as the Proximal Origin Paper, was produced clearly out of geopolitical concerns rather than dispassionate fidelity to the science. For example, one of the paper's authors expressed worry in a draft paper over the Well, I won't use the expletives he used uh, that could happen if anyone serious accused the um, the Chinese of even accidental release. Well, that motivation was antithetical to science. Representative Brad Winstrap, Republican out of Ohio, observed the authors of Proximal Origin ultimately took a one sided, educated guess and willfully ignored evidence of a lab leak. Science doesn't follow a narrative, but fosters debate, he went on to say. Well, in other news, um, Massachusetts Senator says sex change treatments for minors are a human right. And New York City aides doctored a photo of a fallen officer to back up the Mayor Adams story that he carried that photo in his pocket ever since the uh, police officer fell. Well, apparently he hadn't and they tried to make it look a bit more weathered. Ocean Gate suspends all exploration and commercial operations after the recent Titan implosion, rather. And Wagner boss Prigozhin is back in Russia weeks after the armed rebellion, according to the Belarusian president. Uh, Democrats expressed reservations about Biden's decision to send cluster bombs to Ukraine. And CNN is discouraging viewers from watching the anti-pedophile, anti-sex trafficking movie Sound of Freedom, suggesting it's political, which it is not. Portland had been preparing to distribute um, foil, straws and snorting kits to drug addicts, but they've decided to postpone that effort. A supermarket employee has uh, was fired rather for recording three men stealing five hundred dollars in laundry detergent. A disgraced USA gymnast team doctor Larry Nasser has been assaulted in prison by a fellow inmate and an appeals court reinstated Tennessee's ban on gender transition treatments for minors. A cycling event altered its uh, category policy after a furor over a transgender competitor's win in the women's race. 
Sudan is on the brink of an all-out civil war, and the U.N. chief warns um, after an airstrike that killed 22. The Kremlin says Putin met with Wagner chief Prigozhin days after the attempted mutiny, raising questions about what that might have been about. The federal debt has exploded by one trillion and a judge nixed President Biden's request that would allow contact with social media companies. Delays at naval shipyards means um, nearly 40 percent of U.S. uh, submarines are out of commission and Defense Department employees made history Friday by destroying the last chemical weapons. Already mentioned that the Marine Corps is without a confirmed leader for the first time in 164 years. John Kerry says the problem with war in um, Ukraine is it's contributing to climate change. So apparently the death carnage and are apparently incidental. You might want to talk to Vladimir Putin about that. Um, Madrigal Borlaws said he frequently came across situations in which those who wished to pursue happiness by embracing their sexual orientation or gender identity was deterred by the prospect that the region in which they were born would consider them as sinful or evil. And while the report does not establish any new U.N. policy or guidelines, the Office of Independent Expert, which works on the voluntary basis, acts as the eyes and ears of the body and presents recommendations based on its findings. So what does all this mean for Christians and people of faith as the U.N. observes? Ariel Del Torco, the director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Socially Conservative Advocacy Organization, Family Research Council, and co-author of Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution, called the report staggering and warned it could potentially lay the groundwork for more religious interference from the United Nations. While purporting to address violence against LGBT-identified groups, Del Turco said the report does not speak to violence, but rather the failure of religious groups to affirm LGBT identity or behavior. A Shawnee County District Court judge in on Monday, rather, ordered the Kansas Department of Revenue to immediately stop processing any gender marker change requests from for driver's licenses and to take steps to ensure any future licenses issued or renewed reflect the resident's sex assigned at birth. Judge Teresa Watson said Democratic Governor Laura Kelly's administration's decision to continue allowing gender marker changes despite a new law defining men and women based on sexual assigned at birth could result in immediate and irreparable injury, end quote. Well, the order came in response to a lawsuit filed Friday by Kansas Attorney General Chris Kobach, a Republican who argues that the new Kansas law forbids trans and non-binary Kansans from updating state-issued documents to reflect their gender identity. And a study points to the worst mental health outcomes for women who have abortions versus giving birth. And finally, a Chicago suburb has started paying reparations. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Biden administration was forced to walk back comments the president made this week about the U.S. military's preparedness for war. The president faced backlash on Sunday after saying during an interview with CNN that Department of Defense was running low on ammunition because of the war in Ukraine. The military has specific requirements for the numbers of weapon systems and ammunition we maintain in our reserves in case of contingencies or military conflict. A White House official said in a statement, everything we send to Ukraine is in excess of that. So the U.S. is not running out of ammunition ourselves, end quote. Well, the president made the remarks during an interview with Fareed Zakaria when he was asked about his decision to give cluster munitions to Ukraine. 
Well, the FBI pressured social media companies to crack down on the. And by the way, I'm sure China was uh, listening with interest and may not have heard the White House clarification that followed. The FBI pressured social media companies to crack down on the uh, spread of so-called Russian disinformation on behalf of Ukrainian uh, security service, according to a report from the House Weaponization Panel. But evidence suggests that the Russians had infiltrated the group and used the censorship pipeline to suppress anti-Putin and pro-Ukrainian materials. Just the news reported. FBI Director Ray faced harsh critics uh, at today's House Judiciary Oversight hearing. And a new Georgia grand jury has been sworn in to consider criminal charges against the former president, Donald Trump. The Justice Department reversed course on defending Trump in the E. Jean Carroll case. And the Iowa legislature passed a bill banning abortion after six weeks. Mark Zuckerberg spent $43 million on private security after giving over $5 million to defund the police initiatives. And the COVID learning loss isn't getting better. Some suggest they're at least four months behind. The Spanish climate minister flew on a private jet to an eco-conference, then gets out of a limo 100 yards before the venue to ride a bike for the cameras and the sacrifices these uh, these people are willing to make for the sake of the climate or not. Well, on this day in history, 1817, author and poet Henry David Thoreau is born in Concord, Massachusetts. 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signs a bill authorizing the Army uh, Medal of Honor. 1909, the House of Representatives joins the Senate in passing the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, allowing for a federal income tax and submits it to the states. It would be declared ratified in February of 1913. Hmm. 1960, the Etch-A-Sketch magic screen drawing toy invented by French electrician Andre something is first produced by the Ohio Art Company. I used to love the Etch-A-Sketch. This, to me, was such a marvel. And uh, I remember spending hours etching and sketching on that thing. 1962, the Rolling Stones play their first ever gig at the Marquee in London. 1977, President Jimmy Carter defends Supreme Court limits on government payments to poor women's abortions, saying there are many things in life that are not fair. 1984, Democratic presidential candidate Walter Mondale announces he's chosen U.S. Representative Geraldine A. Ferraro of New York to be a running mate, making Ferraro the first woman to run for vice president on a majority party ticket. 2003, the USS Ronald Reagan, the first carrier named for a living president, is commissioned in Norfolk, Virginia. And 2019, U.S. Labor Secretary Alex Acosta under fire for his involvement in a secret 2008 plea deal for wealthy financier Jeffrey Epstein, says he would resign after Epstein's indictment on sex trafficking charges. And finally, also on this day in history, 2019, more than 400,000 people sign up for a Facebook event pledging to raid Area 51 in an effort to, quote, see them aliens. Didn't quite pan out the way they had uh, had hoped. In other news, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor's staff occasionally asked institutions to buy her books. She's become quite wealthy, and it's created something of a furor. Well, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor's staff has often nudged public institutions, including colleges and libraries, to purchase her memoir or children's books, according to an Associated Press report that um, conducted more than 100 Open records requests. Sotomayor, who's 69, has amassed at least $3.7 million in book sales since she joined the court in 2009. Well, throughout that time, the justice has spoken at um, 
dozens of public and private institutions and has often used members of her staff who are funded by taxpayers to push these institutions to purchase uh, purchase rather her books, according to tens of thousands of pages of documents obtained. Well, in 2019, as Sotomayor traveled the country to promote her new children's books, Just Ask, library and community college officials here in Portland jumped at the chance to host an event. They put uh, put in long hours and accommodated a shifting request or series of requests from Sotomayor's court staff. Then, as the public costs of hosting the event soared almost tenfold, a Sotomayor aide emailed with a different urgent concern. She said the organizations did not buy enough copies of the justices book, which attendees had to purchase or have on hand in order to meet the Supreme Court justice. Hmm. A Georgia Democrat switched to the GOP after leftists lambasted her for not being radical enough and embracing education. The Georgia state lawmaker is leaving the Democratic Party to join the GOP after she reportedly angered her colleagues over a bill promoting school choice. State Representative Mesha Maynard, who represents uh, the 56th district in Georgia State House, made an announcement on Tuesday. She didn't leave the Democrat Party Uh, For any other reason, the party left me, she said, when it embraced left-wing radicalism, lawlessness, and put the interests of illegal aliens over the interests of Americans. I have nothing to apologize for. The uh, Georgia lawmaker is African-American. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals has protected children from gender transition surgery. The Christian Post reports that for the first time, a federal appeals court has given the uh, go-ahead for a state to enforce its ban on transgender treatments on children. The U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals on Friday overturned a lower court injunction and gave Tennessee the green light to enforce Senate Bill 1, a new law that prohibits surgery and Hormones, puberty blockers on minors. Earlier this year, a district judge issued an injunction blocking the parts of the law pertaining to hormones and puberty blockers. Tennessee appealed that injunction. The appeals appeals court vote was two to one. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to uh, wrap things up. I want to thank uh, Dave King for engineering. James Blend continues his uh, much needed vacation. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook and join us live every weekday at four for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.